Good morning, and this is another edition of the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnCalley.com, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Lots of stuff to get into in the world of baseball, sports, and unified America. You got the Major League Baseball playoffs, which just started. You got, obviously, NFL last night, and really for a, a series of weeks, it seems like the Thursday games have been a little more exciting, more watchable this year than they've been in years past. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a surprise NBA preview where I'm going to pick a random team thanks to one of my loyal listeners. We're going to talk about that too. Um, we're going to talk about Ronald Acuna in a little bit, but most importantly, this show belongs to you. So anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, please just throw at me. Uh, at me. Do whatever you need to do. Uh, you want to make your points known and heard. This is what the show is all about. So you want to throw a comment on Periscope, you want to throw a comment on Facebook Live. If you're listening through YouTube Premiere, please, like I said, anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. But I would be remiss if I didn't start this show by talking about a person that means really more to me than anybody. And I know a lot of people can relate to it, but this is a special day, one day in a year. And out of 365, which I sit there and I'm thankful for every day, and on October 4th, 1955, my mother, Nancy Piali, was born. And we could always joke about the timing of it and its signification in baseball history. And it's always going to be remembered from, you know, my grandfather, you know, the diehard Yankee fan that he was about the one time. It didn't happen in 1941, it didn't happen in 1947 or 49 or 52 or 53. The five previous times that the Yankees had played the Dodgers in the World Series, and of course we're talking about the Brooklyn Dodgers, and the Yankees who had this dominance over the Brooklyn Dodgers for one year, and on one day, October 4th, 1955, clinched the World Series championship by beating the New York Yankees in seven games. And a day that's going to be known by Johnny Padres throwing a complete game shutout. Something that we may, may very well never see in the history of baseball again. A complete game shutout thrown in game seven. Sure, there's guys like Justin Verlander and you know other pitchers of that echelon that have the ability to go out there and throw nine innings. But we're talking about a time where it was expected. The starter was also the closer. And Johnny Padres did just that. A complete game shutout, two RBIs by Gil Hodges, and also Sandy Amaros making one of the more uh, impressive catches in World Series history, doubling off Gil McDougal at second base. And something that stands out a lot for Dodger fans. And then we think of the year of 2019, and we think of another possible Yankees-Dodgers rematch in the World Series. And you think of the Yankees, Dodgers, and Astros, kind of that top three, the upper echelon teams in Major League Baseball and maybe where we're talking about the odds makers and their best chance or best opportunity or the best possible World Series scenarios and you definitely have to talk about the Yankees and Dodgers with a chance to go at it again. They did it in 1962, they did it again, I'm sorry, 1963 with the Dodgers winning, did it again in 1977 and 1978 with the Yankees winning and of course the Dodgers beat the Yankees in a 1981 World Series so the amount of times that the Dodgers and the Yankees have played each other in a World Series is something that is part of baseball Americana. But we remember today, 
October 4th, 1955, the first time that the Dodgers, and the only time that the Brooklyn Dodgers ever won themselves a World Series, clinching Game 7 with a complete game shutout by Johnny Padres, but most importantly, the day that my mother, Nancy Pielli, was brought into this world, and all I can say is happy birthday and hope you, you enjoy your day, and I look forward to seeing you later. So as we're talking about the baseball playoffs right now, as they are started, wild card games are over, right? So now we're in a spot where we're talking about the beginning of the division series. National League kind of got started yesterday. You know, all I want to say is I'm not here to run scores. I'm not here to break down games that happened last night because we're not in a time contingent type of program. We don't run a program like that here. So if there's questions about it, sure, I can answer questions. If there's comments, I'll address comments. But I'm not going to sit here and, and recap, you know, score by score of the games that we saw yesterday. That's just not what I do here. But I do have to address a situation that happened in the game, which has been part of the show. There's been a lot of talk about it. It's been brought up several different times. And there's different varying degrees of opinions based off of this particular situation. And you could talk about the modern day player in Major League Baseball, maybe with uh, playing with a little more gusto, a little more fervor, more love for the game, and it's just passion that's coming out of it. But you can see the very negative implications on these acts when they happen game in and game out. And if we remember the World Series last year, a lot of attention was put on Manny Machado and his statement, hey, I'm not Johnny Hustle, basically saying forget about the fact that I don't hustle is just not something that I do. Now, hustle can be the difference between a team winning and losing a game. And you can make a case that Ronald Acuna not running out, what he thought was a home run, kind of standing at the plate watching it go when it hit the fence and being held to a single, could have been the difference in the game and the difference in the Atlanta Braves dropping a big first game against the St. Louis Cardinals. Let's be serious. The Braves are probably favored to win that series, but the Cardinals, pretty similar to any other underdog team in any one of these series, and you can, we can have a debate over whether the Cardinals are the real underdog in that series, but the Braves are playing at home. I think a lot of conventional wisdom points to the fact that the Atlanta Braves are probably the better team. The Cardinals had to go out there and win game one. And in a game that was a little back and forth, particularly later on in the game, Acuna's decision to not run out a fly ball, which he thought was gone, and you've heard many players comment on it, listen, I can stand there and watch a ball go if I know it's gone. You better make sure it's gone. And Acuna had issues. He was taken out of a game earlier in the season for a, a similar act, and Freddie Freeman said it right, basically holding him accountable for it, saying, hey, it's not like you could take him out of the game because Acuna's presence and his value to that team is probably stronger than any other player on that team. But I think it is a little bit divisive when a player does that. It kind of shows up the rest of your teammates. It does show up the opposition. When you talk about the Cardinals, which I'll talk about their aspect in this in a little bit. But, you know, not just for the fact that it embarrasses your team. It also puts your team in a worse position. And Ronald Acuna could have been on second base, and we know his all-world talents, the you know potential 40-40 season that he could have had. He's certainly one of the greater 
uh, young prospects in a game, becoming one of the best players in all Major League Baseball. But I do think there's something to be pointed to when you talk about the divisiveness, which it could cause within a clubhouse for a player that chooses to do that. And I think it's something that Ronald Acuna should think about more over the fact of just kind of being himself and enjoying baseball. You go out there and hit a ball 450 feet, there's going to be no fence in Major League Baseball that's going to be able to hold it. Maybe if you have a ball that's arcing in Fenway Park that is rising and hits the top of the green monster, and you could say, hey, the estimated distance could have been a lot further. Listen, baseball players have hit a ton of home runs. Ronald Acuna, throughout his young career, has hit a ton of home runs. He's got to do a better job of identifying what's going over the fence and what isn't. And he cannot allow for a ball that he thinks is gone to hit the top of the fence and look like an absolute jerk and show up his teammates and possibly cost his team a game. That was an absolute terrible job. Now, the other aspect that I do have to talk about is Carlos Martinez, pitcher for the Cardinals, when he gives up a home run later to Acuna in the ninth inning, which, by the way, Carlos Martinez is coming in that game. He's throwing batting practice. He's got to do a better job. If the Cardinals are going to trust him as their closer in a series, which I and amongst other people have identified the Cardinals as the underdog, he's got to go out there and pitch better. He can't be worried about this quote-unquote respect. Because if Ronald Acuna could hit a ball 450 to 500 feet, he should stand there and admire it every time. I don't have any issue with him doing that. I just said, the issue that I have with Acuna is he can't stand there and admire a ball that he thinks is gone and ain't gone. It ain't gone unless it's gone. If it goes over the fence, then he can do whatever he wants. If it's going over the fence, he can do whatever he wants. Now, the pitcher on the other side has the ability to take the game in his own hands. And if Carlos Martinez is not happy that you know Ronald Acuna is showing him up and not giving him that, quote, respect for being a veteran, no. You want respect for being a veteran, you strike him out. And if you strike him out and you want to show a little extra bravado, that's fine. You want to beat him in the back the next time? I hope you don't attempt to injure. You want to go out there and buzz him the next time to get his attention? Then you've got the right to do that. That's the part of the game of baseball, which I completely leave that should still be up to the players. A player should have the ability to police themselves. Don't go to social media or don't go to the media after the game and bitch and whine and complain that you didn't like the way somebody conducted themselves in a batter's box. There was a day where the pitchers controlled what was going on on the field. And if Carlos Martinez doesn't like what Ronald Acuna did, he's got the right to throw one his way next time, to buzz him off the plate, to even hit him in the back or the leg or the ass if he wants to in his next plate appearance. And I got no issue with that. But for him to whine and complain about him being showed up, he showed himself up when he gave up those two home runs in the ninth inning. He's got a four-run lead going up against the Atlanta Braves in Atlanta in a game which would have been absolutely huge for the Cardinals to win. He goes out there and he's throwing batting practice. Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman hitting bombs off of him. He's got to do a better job. And he's got to be accountable for the bad job that he did in that game because he was lucky that the Cardinals came out on top it was in spite of his poor pitching in the ninth inning. So if he doesn't like the fact that Ronald Acuna stands there and admires a bomb that he hits that no doubt is going out of the ballpark, 
he should get him out next time. And if he wants to police it on the field, sure, he can make him feel a little uncomfortable in the box. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication or reproduction or the use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or the use of the program, such by charge or admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So, I did want to get into a little NFL, talking a little bit about Vontae's perfect. And I didn't get a chance to bring this up on the show that I did on Wednesday, and I apologize. I was a little under the weather, getting better now. There's probably a couple more topics that I wanted to bring up over the course of the show, but we got some time this morning, so I figured I'd go out there and i knock out another one. But Vontae's perfect, suspended by the NFL for the rest of the season for a, another hit and another violation of the league's safety policy, which, let's be serious, if you want to talk about the honesty of what's going on here in the NFL, is there not a motion out there by the National Football League to make the game safer? Is there not a, an initiative to make sure that the players are protected on the field? You got CTE, you got players blowing their brains out after their careers are over because they can't deal with the headaches from the CTE and the amount of hits that they took over the course of their career. So I'm not going to say that Vontaze Perfect is the only player that isn't getting it. But he is one of very few. And you look at the National Football League, and I understand we're not going to grow a whole group of NFL players that are all good people. You know, I look at Charles Haley. I look at Lawrence Taylor. We're not necessarily looking at model citizens and model men that are supposed to exist in the National Football League. Pro football players, yes, I've talked about it before, how there's a, a line between being a, a bad person and a good person in football and maybe being too good of a person in football will leave some to be desired on the field. You almost want your defensive players in the National Football League to be tough, to be bad people, to want to go out there and hurt the opposition. And obviously there is a line that has to be drawn at some point. So Vontaze Burfick, when he was coming out of college, he left a year early, ends up not being drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, all because of some character issues. But once again, sometimes if you talk about guys with character issues, it could actually turn out to be really good on the football field. And uh, European basketball throws out there that although Spain is the world champion in basketball, I think Serbia is better. And I think we could, you could break that down if you want. You want to talk about the, the FIBA Cup that he just had throughout the world. I think there was a lot of competitive games. I thought Serbia actually did a pretty good job there. So good contribution in European basketball. But to continue this point about the NFL and violence, and as it applies to Vontaze Perfect, here, here's a guy that was brought in by the Bengals because of his ability to play football. And the thought that sometimes maybe your more devious players can actually produce better results. And I think that was a good move by Marvin Lewis and Cincinnati Bengals. But right off the bat, week three gets hit with $31,000 worth of fines. Uh, a headshot on James Jones, a uh, shot to the leg of Ryan Taylor. Next year, 25K in fines. Greg Olson claims that he's trying to twist his legs and Cam Newton's legs in a pile after the game, which we know in National Football League history going back for years, 
this was something that was common amongst the players, that they, they used to do stuff like this. LT used to do stuff like this. Charles Haley used to do stuff like this. You know, Dick Buckus would, would do stuff like this. But now in a day and age where the cameras are showing it and the amount of officials that are on the field and the initiative by the National Football League to make the game safer for the players on the field, this is something that at some point has to be understood that it is no longer acceptable. So 2015 goes by. He attempts to injure Ben Roethlisberger, tries to twist his ankle, fined for $69,000. A hit to the head of Antonio Brown in a playoff game, which, by the way, cost the team the game. The Bengals, who made the playoffs five straight years under head coach Marvin Lewis, had a chance to advance that game. I remember watching that game thinking the Bengals were finally going to prevail. And that hit and a subsequent penalty to Adam Pac-Man Jones ends up ruining the season for the Cincinnati Bengals. So not only is Burfick hurting himself by getting himself fines, accumulating a whole bunch of fines throughout the course of his young career, but now he's doing things that are costing his team the game. So you move on to 2016. He gets suspended for the first three games of the season, deemed as a repeat offender in the National Football League. But, but, but wait, it gets worse. 2017, he's suspended for the first five games, reduced to three, ends up over the course of the season kicking Pittsburgh's player, Roosevelt Knicks, in the head, gets ejected for two personal fouls in Week 10, 2018, unrelated, PED suspension. Okay, we can talk about that as, as it relates. Obviously, it's not good, but I'll skip that because it has nothing to do with anything that he's doing on the field. Week 6 accumulates another $112,000 worth of fines for hits on Antonio Brown and James Conner. So now, 2019, the Bengals finally move on from him. They probably deem, all right, he's had enough issues as they apply to the National Football League. Maybe it's time for him to move on. He goes out there, hits Jack Doyle in the head. Now, I understand that at some point there's going to be hits to the head. Sometimes some hits to the head are unintentional. But when you got a guy that's a repeat offender in the National Football League, obviously is not getting it. He's not understanding that he needs to, in spite of not maybe wanting to play any less or play any less hard, he's got to do a better job as far as not attempting to injure players in the National Football League. The National Football League has done a good job to try to avoid this, especially with the lawsuits and the retired players and the CTE and the whole thing. And a year-long suspension may seem a little bit harsh. Now, I don't believe he should be suspended for the rest of the year. I don't. But he has got to get that last time or that last chance type of thing to say, hey, if something like this happens again, you are not coming back. And it's not one of those Major League Baseball, Steve Howe kind of last chances. It has to be known that, hey, something like this happens again, and it looks like you basically w waving your hand in the National Football League's face saying, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to play the game the way I want and not care about the implications that your hits and the way that you play could have on the future of National Football League players, you have to threaten with a longer-term suspension. And maybe Burfick's suspension gets reduced a little bit, 
And maybe he doesn't have to sit out the rest of the season, but it has to be understood that this type of act, this type of behavior will not be tolerated in the National Football League. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, the smoothness, and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. So the Mets became team number seven to now be searching for a new manager. And it really comes down to this. And you can say the same thing will apply to the other six teams that are looking for a new manager in Major League Baseball. And it's interesting to see how these teams move going forward. Because if you look at what is happening now, you obviously see the old guard of managers, guys like Bobby Cox and Joe Torre and Buck Showalter, guys who've been part of Major League Baseball for a long time, Bruce Bochy, and you could run the names out of all the old school managers that have left positions and have not been invited back. Will Joe Girardi remain on that list? Will Joe Madden? join that list. Major League Baseball teams have reduced the role of the manager to kind of be almost the equivalent of a button pusher or just a person that is implementing game plans that is provided all this information. And I've said this for, you know, at nauseum, I'm not going to say it again, but you know my role and how I feel about the role of Major League Baseball manager in 2019. So the question is going to be, not just for the Mets, but for any one of those other six teams that are looking for a new manager, what is the proper approach? You hear guys like Joe Espada, like Raul Abanez, like Carlos Beltran, David Cohn, a series of names that are out there, but you know are respected throughout the game. You know Joey Cora would be another one. Potential first-time managers and. What, what I have to see is in each one of these individual situations, what is their game plan for how they plan to operate their club going forward? Do they want a push-button manager? Because if that's the case, then the importance on who it is that you hire and how much you pay them may not necessarily have as much value. Now, if you want the manager to be very involved in in-game decisions and you want the results of these in-game decisions to be the difference between whether you win or you lose, then I think it is a little more important than to look at the track record of and the resume of the person that's coming in there. And there's one guy who I don't think has gotten very much credit, and he could have disqualified himself. He could have said, listen, I'm not looking for another job as a major league manager, and that I don't know. So if that's the case, then I apologize for this endorsement that I'm about to give to Ron Washington, currently the third base coach of the Atlanta Braves. Now, you know, he was with the Oakland Athletics as, as a coach uh, back before he became a major league manager, was hired by the Texas Rangers, did nothing but win there. Over 500 record, five straight 90-win seasons, two straight World Series appearances. And then in a situation that was considered more of a personal matter, he ended up stepping away from the Rangers in what became a bad season. Came right back into coaching, joined the Oakland Athletics, went to the Atlanta Braves because it was a little closer to his Louisiana home. But this is a guy that is a winner. He managed for several seasons in the big leagues. He is endorsements of many players, including Adrian Beltre and players of top echelon that played for the Texas Rangers. And I'm a little surprised that his name isn't being thrown out there. Now, the question you could ask, is it a matter of the old school against the new school? Is Ron Washington considered 
because he played baseball in the 80s and because of a lot of his influences were guys that were managing in the 80s and had a lot more control over what happens on the field than the managers in 2019, then that may be the reason. But at the same time, you're looking at managerial vacancy after managerial vacancy, and I'm wondering why Ron Washington isn't getting an interview. You, know, you talk about Joe Girardi, you talk about Buck Showalter, and I think those are two baseball men that deserve to be managing Major League Baseball teams. Remember, I'm on other shows saying that coaches coach. That's what they do. That's what they're meant to do. So you got a guy like Joe Girardi, you got a guy like Buck. Are they okay in a broadcast booth? Of course. They got great baseball knowledge. They know a lot about the sport, a lot about the game. They can provide a lot of insight to what's going on in a game because they got that ability to kind of see what's going on. They're better suited to be Major League Baseball managers. And the interesting thing that's going to be out there is I'm going to judge at each one of these seven managerial hires whether they decided to hire a button pusher or a person that they actually expect to have an influence in their team winning games and losing games. And I want to see how these managers end up doing because it seems like it's about 50-50. Now, the naysayer, the person that may have an issue to what I'm saying right now, may say, well, out of the 10 teams in Major League Baseball, eight of the managers that are managing these teams are first-timers. And that's true. That's an absolute fact. I don't have any issue with that whatsoever. That's a good, valid point. But you're also seeing other managers in Major League Baseball doing well and not necessarily needing to be a button pusher. And it's interesting to see how it ends up working out because, you know, over time, you're going to have new managers. There's going to be managers that are managing for the first time. But one of the things that we've picked on when managers have been chosen is their role in a baseball franchise before. Aaron Boone getting a job with the Yankees after being a broadcaster at ESPN for a while. Well, Larry Durker was a broadcaster for the Houston Astros outside of being a former major league pitcher had no ties to anything that was going on on field with the Houston Astros, and he was hired. He led the team to a couple playoff appearances. I think it's a toss-up. And the one thing that I'm going to stress more than anything is the manager in Major League Baseball is not going to be the difference between you winning and you losing. The team that wins the World Series this year is going to give probably some unnecessary credit to its manager after they win the World Series. Alex Cora got it last year. A.J. Hinch got it the year before. In 2016, it was Joe Madden. In 2015, it was Ned Yost. In 2014, 12, and 10, it was Bruce Bochy. In 2013, it was John Farrell. In 2011, it was Tony La Russa. In 29, it was Charlie Manuel. In 2008, of course, I'm sorry, it was Charlie Manuel. In 2008, Joe Girardi. In 2009, but the bottom line is you win a World Series championship. That's something that you get to carry with you for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter your role in that team, but you are forever a World Series championship manager. And I think it's once again going to be stressed too much the value of a manager in Major League Baseball. And as we're following the playoffs this year, you can make a case that any one of the eight remaining teams, to varying degrees, all have a chance to win a World Series championship. But if the Atlanta Braves win, are we all of a sudden going to anoint Brian Snicker 
as a great all-time manager? Is he up there with Bobby Cox because he wins himself one World Series championship? Well, you know what? You can make that case because they would have both won the same amount of World Series championships. Now, Brian Snickers got a last in Atlanta before he gets that type of credit. But you could talk about the amount of World Series championships. You could say, hey, somebody goes out there and a first-time manager, let's say Mike Schilt wins the World Series championship for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, do you put him up there with the likes of a Ned Yost or a Joe Madden or A.J. Hinch or an Alex Cora? Well, they all got the same amount of World Series championships. It's the manager's influence on the team, though there's some value to it, I think is absolutely overrated. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. Castrol engineered for today's smaller cars. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPelly.com, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, by St. Alwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Um, Going to hit some comments on Periscope. Somebody says Trump 2020. I could care less about politics. Um, the same person says WTF. I guess you're looking for something else that you're not expecting to see. I, I don't know. Whatever's on your mind, like I said, in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. So the last thing we're going to talk about here is a little bit of a surprise preview. And Joy goes out there and he says he wants to hear a little talk about the Utah Jazz as we get ready for the NBA season. And I do think they're going to be a pretty interesting team when it comes to the NBA this year. And you look at what they added as opposed to what they lost last year team that won 50 games, the fifth seed in a Western Conference, and I thought a team that very quietly could have done a little damage in the postseason in regards to the Western Conference playoffs. Now, we know that you're talking about the best of the best when it comes to the NBA playing in the Western Conference. Championships likely will have to go through the West. Now, the Toronto Raptors, Kawhi Leonard, they won the championship last year. They beat the Golden State Warriors a couple of years ago. The Cleveland Cavaliers won. So it's not necessarily cut and dry that the winner is going to come out of the West. But you talk about talent as it exists in a National Basketball Association, and it really kind of is lopsided towards the West. You're talking about the best players. You're talking about the best team. So if you're a team like the Utah Jazz that necessarily isn't on the, the top heavy echelon, when it comes to the playoffs or the ranking amongst the conference, you're going to need a lot of things to go right. And I think they had a very good offseason. They went out there and they traded for Boyan Bordanovic from Indiana. They brought in Mike Conley from Memphis. And they also brought in Jeff Green. Now, Jeff Green is playing for his eighth team right now. And he may be the Octavio Dotel or the Edwin Jackson of the National Basketball Association with a chance to play for as many different teams as possible. But Green provides some leadership, and I think one of the things that the Utah Jazz have going for them is their depth that they have on the bench. Their starting five will include you know, Rudy Gobert, Joe Ingles, and Donovan Mitchell, and then you add Conley and Bojanovic to the mix. I think that's a pretty good starting five. You look at guys that are going to be coming off the bench, whether it's... Jeff Green, whether it's Emmanuel Moutier, who they got from the Knicks, guy who averaged over 13 points a game for them, Ed Davis, who comes over from the Nets. And I think they have some depth on that team. And you talk about one thing that the Golden State Warriors were lacking last year. And you can talk about guys that come off the bench that were pretty solid, like Andre Iguodala. The Warriors 
didn't have the depth that they had in previous years. And I think that was kind of held against them at certain points of the finals last year. So I like the depth of the Jazz. I think you could talk about stability and health. If the guys stay healthy there and you have a bench that goes about eight, nine deep, I think that could set them up as a good regular season team. And I think if you look at the likes of the Houston Rockets, a team that had a lot of success because of their ability to rest players and move guys in and out, I think the Utah Jazz and Quinn Snyder will have the ability to do that this year. And if their main guys can stay healthy, and if they can rotate guys like Green and Moutier and Davis in there, I think they could be up towards the top of the Western Conference. Now, when you're talking about playoffs, playoffs, well, yeah, I think the Jazz, you know, barring any major catastrophe, will be expected to be a postseason team. But how do they match up with Houston? How do they match up with Golden State? I understand the Warriors are not the same without Kevin Durant. And obviously, Clay Thompson being out, you don't know how much of the season he's going to miss. You know, the Lakers with Anthony Davis, are, are they a resurgent team? Are the Clippers better? You, know, you can talk about all these different possibilities as we're talking about the NBA coming in. Where did the Jazz rank? I think they're still a four or five team when it comes to being a seed. But there's a lot to be said. You need a whole NBA season, a whole 82 games that have to be played before we could go out there and, and really make a, a good assessment. But I think this is a quality team. I think this is a team that, like I said, from a depth standpoint, I think it's pretty good. You know, you look at the coaching situation, the fact they've had three coaches since 1989. You know there's some, some stability and respect there. And I like the Conley acquisition. I think him and Donovan Mitchell playing together should provide for some fun basketball. I'd like to see the Jazz go out there, maybe win themselves a division, maybe get themselves a two or three seed in the NBA. And the thing that sucks about the NBA, it really is all about the playoffs. The good teams are expected to get to the playoffs. The borderline teams, the ones that are competing for that seven or eight seed, are not really going to be considered a legitimate championship contender. So it's almost like, yes, if you are a diehard basketball fan, you want to watch every game. If you're close enough and you got season tickets and you go out there and you support your favorite team for 41 games, you want to go out there and do it. But the results of whether a season is a, a pass or a fail, a success or a failure, is going to come down to what happens in a postseason. And it's very interesting to see if, the Utah Jazz could be one of those teams that'll take that necessary step and become a legitimate Western Conference representative in the playoffs, something that they haven't done since the days of Stockton and Malone and Jerry Sloan when he was the head coach. A little bit of a recap of the show today. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, Mom, if you're there, happy birthday. Uh, obviously, the what is now the 64th anniversary of Johnny Padres throwing a complete game shutout for the Brooklyn Dodgers, the only World Series championship that they won in Brooklyn, beating the New York Yankees, Gil Hodges, the two RBIs, Sandy Amaros, the great catch in left field, doubling off Gil McDougal at second base. Vontaze Perfect, does he deserve the penalty that he got for the National Football League being suspended for the rest of the season? Uh, maybe, maybe it's a little harsh. But he's got to look himself in the mirror and say, hey, is he willing to change? And if he's not willing to change, then maybe he shouldn't be playing pro football. Talked a little bit about 
the Utah Jazz. And TJ TJ three says that he heard I like putting hands on women. Well, and that's completely not true. So I don't know where your sources are on that, but if you're trying to be a tough guy by throwing out random, you know, blasphemy of stuff that isn't true, I really don't know what to say to you. But let me know if you got anything else to say. Final things that we spoke about today, we were talking about the Utah Jazz and the possibility that this team could be ready to take the next step in the National Basketball Association, but most importantly, in the Western Conference. It's going to be pretty cool to see how that turns out. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. Buy Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. By St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.